Luke chapter 18. It is great to be here this morning. I'm interested in the river um, artwork. Uh, One of the things I've been preaching about in quite a few different places over the last few weeks is simply the importance of living in God's river. And uh, it's very sort of alive with me at the moment. And, and I was tempted when I saw it to change what I was going to preach, you know, because you sort of think, oh, yes, that's really where I'm at at the moment. But I do feel actually that God wants me to preach the sermon that I have uh, planned and prepared. So that's what we're going to do. Um, I am uh, just sort of, I feel it's a, it's a big sort of, a big ask, really, to be asked to speak on prayer. And, I mean, I know Steve gave a good, gave a good introduction last week from the Lord's Prayer. Uh, and, you know, well, let's have another encouragement to pray. The trouble is, prayer is such a vast subject. It's, it's a huge privilege. It's our huge privilege as God's people uh, to have a relationship with a big God. Uh, and to be able to exercise that relationship day by day, uh, talking to the God of the universe uh, as an intimate friend, uh, it's one of the great privileges, one of the great blessings, and, uh, and yet one of the things we struggle with a fair bit as well, a good many of us, I guess, if some of you are anything like me anyway, uh, we, we, and you know, we, there's a sense that maybe we don't do it enough and, and all the rest of it. And, and I thought, what aspect of prayer uh, should I be preaching on this morning? And uh, there are so many things to do with, you know, practicing God's presence uh, day by day or being overcomers in prayer or going deeper in prayer or, or you know, just thanks and praise and being a thankful people learning how to live in adoration and reflection on God. I mean, there's some, there's some huge areas here. Can I just commend a very good book to you on prayer if you want to go deeper with God? And this book by Richard Foster on prayer is an absolute classic as far as I'm concerned. And it just outlines all sorts of different types of prayer that you might pray at different times, and you will find probably, you know, there's a whole welter of experiences that you have, times when you might feel just a bit on your own and rejected, a little bit sort of, uh, you know, struggling with life and stuff, and other times when things are going really well, and frankly, it covers the whole gamut of prayer, and I just highly commend it to you, and when I took it off the shelf earlier this week, thinking, I just need to sort of, you know, find, find my place here. Um, it didn't do me any good, because I just thought there is even more now uh, that, you know, I, I could speak on. What I've decided to do is speak on Luke chapter 18, as I've indicated to you, and I've called it Two Tough Prayers, because these two types of prayer that are mentioned uh, here in Luke chapter 18 uh, are... Uh, you know, really not straightforward. Uh, and, and prayer isn't straightforward. Uh, prayer is, as I've indicated, a delight and a struggle. Who, who, who loves prayer? Okay. Who struggles with prayer? Yeah, some of you put the, you know, just the other hand up, I noticed. Uh, 
And, and, and that's how it is. It's, it's a delight and it's a struggle at the same time. Uh, and uh, here, Jesus, it seems to me, speaks very, very frankly to his disciples about the challenges that we have. Then Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. That sounds simple, doesn't it? Uh, Here's a story telling me you should always pray and not give up. Is anyone ever tempted to give up? Yeah. And especially when you've been struggling with some prayer for some time. Uh, You're tempted to give up. You start off well... And then uh, it it, it just gets hard. Well, and when you start a month of prayer, you start off well, and then it can also peter out. And I think I'm trying to encourage you probably to get stronger towards the end of the month rather than enthusiastic at the beginning and then just let it tail off. Because that's what happens. We start with great enthusiasm and, and then, well, things come along, fill our life, and we're not quite there at the end. And I think God wants to say, look, if this month of prayer is about God's glory coming to the city in more powerful ways, we need to keep pressing through here. So Jesus told this, his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. He said, in a certain town, there was a judge who neither feared God nor cared about men. And there was a widow in that town who kept coming to him with the plea, grant me justice against my adversary. For some time, he refused. But finally, he said to himself, even though I don't fear God or care about men, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I'll see she gets justice so that she won't eventually Wear me out with her coming. And the Lord said, Listen to what the unjust judge says. And will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will see that they get justice and quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? So, there's a call here from Jesus to prayer. Without pretending it's easy. Because prayer isn't necessarily easy. And And one of the things that you and I sometimes think, and we're tempted to think, is that everyone else seems to find this easy. But I really struggle. And that just makes you feel worse, more guilty, and an even more useless Christian. Because if there's one thing we ought to know how to do as Christians, it's pray. You know, Paul says we don't even know how to pray as we ought. It's fairly basic, isn't it? You think Christians know how to pray, but we don't. We struggle with it. And Jesus is trying to encourage his disciples to keep on praying without pretending it's easy. So let's not pretend that this is necessarily a ride which we all love all the time. But one way or another, 
God will take us into situations where this gets tested. Are we going to keep on praying? Lorraine and I have been in a situation for the last couple of years which has just been going on and on and on. (laughs) Without the resolution that we have been looking for. Let me tell you something. We are praying even harder now than we were at the beginning. Because you don't have a choice. You don't have an option. Because you've seen something that you believe God wants to do, you know God wants to do. There is no question about what God wants to do in this situation. Absolutely none. And so the challenge is, well, are you going to keep on praying? Or are you going to give up, shrug your shoulders and say, well, I've tried that, but it didn't really seem to do much. And God said, he tells this story about this unjust judge who doesn't care a jot about God or people or anything else, just about his own position. And, and eventually this just unjust judge, you know, gives him because the woman keeps on pestering him. But what he's saying is, God's not like that judge at all. <laughs> he loves justice and he loves to do right. And you don't know why the answer isn't coming at this moment of time. You don't know why it's not clicking into place at this moment of time. And he says, doesn't God, a good God who loves to do justice, you know, doesn't he listen to those who are praying to him night and day? The nighttime prayers are even more powerful than the daytime prayers. There are some situations where you have to call God down, you have to call faith down in the dark hours of the night as well as the light hours of the day. Isn't that right? I'm trying to talk some reality here. And we all struggle with some situations. Gordy said, we're not going to look at the... We've all had difficult weeks, but we're not going to look at that. We're going to look at God. I agree with that. That's a right posture. And, and Jack prayed out a prayer about God always being good, and he's always good, and his goodness, you know, undergirds every single part of our life, even when we walk through the tough times. That is absolutely right. Sometimes we're challenged by life. We're challenged by issues of health and sickness, ongoing struggles. And sometimes we see great miracles and we're rejoicing this weekend with some very good friends of ours. Some of you may know Martin and Linda Dunkley, and uh, it looked like Linda had a, a cancer a few weeks ago. Well, she certainly hasn't got it now. God has touched her powerfully, dynamically. And, you know, we don't know quite how it's happened. We don't, you know, you know is it God? Is it a miracle? Was the original diagnosis wrong? Who knows? Who cares? She's clear. Uh, you know, and this is, this is wonderful. We're rejo- so you see mighty miracles. There is no question about it. You see mighty miracles. You see God do stuff. So we keep praying because we see God do stuff. And if you don't see it immediately, you keep praying because God does do stuff. <laughs> and we've got nowhere else to go but to go. But sometimes, sometimes those health struggles go on longer. And the struggle goes on longer. And the issue is, Will we give up, or will we keep crying out to God? Or there's relationship issues, relationships that break down, or family relationships that go wrong, or 
You know, there's all sorts of relational struggles as well that we live with. And, you know, our partners may be not feeling the same way about certain things, our goals being different, our values being different, our standards being... We know we get there's certain things that creep in at various times. Or Christian partners who are, who are living with non-Christian partners. Or are they ever going to see? Are they ever going to come to Christ? There's that, that sort of question. So what do we do? Do we just live with it? Or do we... <laughs> Do we keep on praying? Are we going to keep on breaking through? Salvation issues. Seeing people come to Christ. In some cultures, people are coming to Christ hand over fist, pouring into the kingdom of God. Wonderful stories of salvation in China in South America, in Africa, in London, in black churches. Yeah, praise God. I mean, whole sections of the city, powerfully Christian. This is very good news. I wonder if it's related. You may say, well, yes, they're a little bit more spiritual, aren't they? A little bit more open there. I wonder if it's got anything to do with the fact that once a month, 40,000 meet for prayer, for half a night of prayer in the city of London. Hmm. Yeah. I wonder if that has something to do with that. Because there is a prayer movement going on in the city of London, especially in black churches, which is powerful, and there's a river of salvation flowing as well. Hmm. Perhaps we need to learn. Not just say... Well, we're in a, living in a culture which is harder. <laughs> well, perhaps there's something that comes before the softening of the culture, which is a passion for God. Maybe there are emotional issues that people face. You just have to deep, dig deep into God for times when you feel hugely rejected or on your own or isolated or whatever it may be. Maybe there are money issues that you face. And particularly at this time. And you have to keep digging into God. Digging into God. Well, what does Jesus say here? He says, first of all, God responds to desperate hearts. Doesn't doesn't God hear the prayers? God who loves justice and who's a good God, doesn't hear the prayers of those who cry out to him day and night? And is there something about being desperate. Now, occasionally, your kids ask you for things. And, uh, you know, they say, Dad, Mum, can I have, can I have? Well, the truth is, that question comes regularly uh, for all sorts of things. Because there's all sorts of stuff out there that friends have and all the rest of it. It's very attractive and that's what they want, etc., etc. And your normal response is, no, no, (laughs) no. When they start asking day after day after day after day, month after month, you start to think, do you know what? Maybe they're serious about this. Maybe this is a real desire. And sometimes weeding out what the real desires are is quite an important part of the process. And I was just the same when I was a kid. I remember my parents saying to me, you just want everything. 
and you want to do everything. I was, I was interested in this, I was interested in that, I was interested in the other, and we have a son who's exactly the same, our Ben. Uh, you know, he wants to do this, wants to do this, he wants to do this, he wants to play an instrument, he wants to be a sportsman, he wants to have lots of friends, he wants to plant a church, he wants to, you know, he just wants to, wants to do everything. Uh, and, and some of our kids want everything, but, but when, when it's one thing, I want to do this, 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 and it comes back time and time and time again, you begin to think, ah, now this is, this is bigger than just wanting something. This is, this is the real thing. And something in you rise and says, I can see this as a passion which needs, needs to be met. We need to do something about this. And I have a feeling that what God does is he responds to desperate hearts when he understands how important this is to us. It's not playing with us, but it's because he wants us to be passionate about the things that he is passionate about, and he wants to give us the answers to those prayers so that we understand how much God is with us and for us and how much he longs to bless us. So he responds to desperate hearts. And another reason for continuing to pray is that spiritual fruit requires spiritual breakthrough. If we want to see the glory of God come to the city of Oxford... We are going to have to see strongholds broken in the city. We're going to have to see strongholds of unbelief broken in the city. We're going to have to see strongholds of cultural apathy broken in the city. We're going to have to see strongholds come down that the banner of Christ may go up. There's a change that needs to come. Now, don't think Satan will give ground quickly to the kingdom of God coming to the city. He is not going to cede and give in to you and me, just sort of praying the odd prayer, God, let your kingdom come, bang, there we are. Not for one moment. Not for one moment. Sometimes you're going to have to keep on praying and praying and praying and being focused. Some years ago, I read this book by Ed Silvozo, called That None Should Perish, a subtitle, How to Reach Entire Cities for Christ Through Prayer Evangelism. And it's a, it's a powerful and provocative book, I have to say. Um, and, you know, there is a lot of great stuff in here. I pulled it off my shelf this morning because I remembered an illustration from this book. Uh, but could I find it? It's somewhere in this book. I remember him talking about Periods of 40-day prayer. I'm, look, I've, I flicked through it for five or ten minutes, and I thought, I'm just wasting my time here, but uh, I couldn't find it. But the, the, the illustration goes like this. He's talking about the importance of prolonged, you know, going at things in prayer, not expecting the enemy to give ground easily. And he talks about 40-day periods of prayer. And he basically says, you know, have you ever tried to take a sledgehammer and knock a wall down? Now, I don't know whether you have, but at least if it's a half-decently built wall, you take a sledgehammer, and I have tried to do, I mean, I have tried to do this in various contexts, you take a sledgehammer and you whack it down and it stops dead. It doesn't shift, and all you get is, you know, blisters on your hands or something. I mean, it's, you know, it's, you get a powerful shock in your hand and the wall doesn't move. 
And you think, I should have enough weight to shift this thing. Well, that's what I tend to think anyway. I should have enough weight to shift this thing. Do it again, bang, stops dead. Bang, stops dead. By this time, you're starting to ache. You know, a few, a few strokes like that, you're starting to ache, and the wall still isn't shifting. And you start thinking to yourself, maybe it's going to take somebody stronger than me. Has anybody had this? Yes, I can see Joe knocking, Steve, John nodding, and Steve nodding here. Yeah. And it, I, it, so you keep going at it. You keep, and, and you're getting tired, and the wall is still standing. You think, this is not right. I've got a huge, great sledgehammer here, and this wall doesn't look that strong. It can't have been built that well, you know, but it's still standing. But if you can keep going at it, and, keep, and you're puffing and grunting and all the rest of it, and keep going at it, on about stroke 30... Seriously, it is like this. On about stroke 30, you start to see a few cracks appearing in the wall. This gives you a little hope that all is not lost. And this huge effort that you have expended might be having a little fruit. And then when you get to 31, it's opening up a bit more. And then you think, well, it's only the plaster on top. It's jolly. Anyway. <laughs> 32, 33, and eventually you see cracks spreading all across this thing. And the point that he makes is it often takes you to strokes 37, 38 to see suddenly the whole thing come down. And we are so instant in our thinking about prayer Oh, I'll pray for this. I'll get somebody to pray with me on Sunday morning. Yes, and what about the rest of the fight? Because spiritual fruit requires spiritual breakthrough. And we're going to have to know how to keep going at it and keep going at it. The key issue here, of course, and Jesus says it at the end of this little paragraph, the key issue is faith. And are we praying in hope or in expectation? Lots of times we're praying in hope. We really hope God will do something here. God wants to take us to a deeper place of learning how to pray in faith. And faith is about being sure... It says in Hebrews chapter 11, being sure of things you don't see. So, there's all sorts of stuff you see, but there's a load of stuff you don't see, which you know is much more important, and it's that that God wants to do. He really does want to bring my family to Christ. He does want them to be saved. And when I see them not being saved every day, that gets tough. I lived with a father like that. He did receive Christ before he died. But I lived with him unsaved for years and years and years. So I know what that feels like. You pray and pray and pray. And my mother prayed and prayed and prayed. And my sister and brother prayed and prayed and prayed. My dad would get saved. Bang! 
taught them this parable that they should always pray and never give up. Always pray and never give up. Now, if we're going to see the kingdom come to our city, it's going to take that sort of praying. That sort of praying. I'm not trying to depress you. I'm just trying to say, gird up your loins. We've got a great fight on here. And we've got a great place to take in the army of God. Um, But the key is going to be faith, that we have seen something beyond what is now. We've seen something of the kingdom come to this city. Before we planted the church, Oxford Community Church, in actually 1985, God spoke to us about coming here. I was living about 15 miles west of Oxford at the time, leading a church in the town of Whitney. And uh, at that time, there were three charismatic churches, St. Aldate's, uh, under the leadership of a man called Michael Green, and the Elim Pentecostal and the Assemblies of God Pentecostal. And as I started praying, I felt that God was speaking to us about coming and planting a church in Oxford, spirit-filled church in Oxford. And I sort of said to God, so what's this about? He said, well... I want to pour my spirit into Oxford. Three little pockets at the moment, but I want to pour my spirit into Oxford. We started to pray and pray and ask God to bring us in and help to establish. And by the grace of God, OCC was established. But what we saw after that was a sort of river of the spirit of God. There now must be 30 or 40 Pentecostal churches, charismatic churches in the city of Oxford. It's just been huge over the last... 20 or 30 years. Because he wanted to pour something in. I felt God helped us to see something. And he wants to do far more now. Because we've seen a river of the Spirit come to God's people, or new churches get established, but but now it must be about salvation coming to the city. Seeing people born again and you know, finding Christ for themselves. And we're going to have to pray for that. It's not, that's not going to come easily. And uh, we're going to have to pray and not give up. Pray and not give up. Any of you students going to see it in the university, you're going to have to pray and not give up. And you're going to have to cry out night and day. Because it's that sort of desperate prayer, faith-filled prayer, that God responds to. Hopeful prayer, by the way, is easy to give up on. Faithful prayer looks beyond the small delays. <laughs> if you've seen it in God, you're going to keep praying. And I suppose I'm encouraging us to go a step further, having started a month of prayer, that we go a step further and say, we're, we're going to go all the way here. Yeah. Bang, bang, bang. Okay, second story. Verse 9. <coughs> Excuse me. To some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everybody else, Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray. One a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood up and prayed about himself. (laughs) I like that. The Pharisee stood up and prayed about himself. Straight out there. God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tithe of all I get. But the tax collector collector stood at a distance. He wouldn't even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, 
God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you that this man, rather than the first one, went home justified before God. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. My first story was about prayer without pretending it's easy. The second one is prayer without pretending isn't easy. Prayer without pretending isn't easy. What the tax collector did was stood up and said, God, you know me through and through. I'm in trouble. I need help. This isn't easy. Not an easy posture to take. Because there's something in us that likes to justify where we are. You know I've tried this and that and I've served you well and I've done this and I've prayed about this several times. We just like to pump ourselves up a little bit. We're all looking very holy. You don't like doing that at all, no. You say every day, I'm a wretch. We like to pump ourselves up a bit, make ourselves feel a little bit better. I've done this, I've done that. One of these prayers thinks he's got the lot and the other knows he's got nothing. One is self-conscious, the other is God-conscious. When you stand in front of God, what do you have? There's a time to get low and do business with God. And this isn't an easy type of prayer. It's not an easy type of prayer. And there are times when God wants to come to us in fresh ways, in new depths, and to touch us again. Moments of revelation, perhaps, when we say, I'm pretty apathetic, really. Now, some of our worship pointed us in this direction this morning. This is why I'm a bit confident to just keep pushing this this one through, really. There are moments in God when we have to say, do you know what? I'm pretty half-hearted, really. I'm pretty apathetic, really. Now, I like the social family life of the church, but really, when it comes to God, I'm not that well in touch. I need to go deeper with God. And sometimes we find ourselves in a terrible state of the soul, which is that well, we wouldn't turn away from God, but we're not really very passionate about God. We're here because we're here. We dream of turning back, but neither are we running into God day after day. And actually, when we consider the state of our soul, it's not hot. Graham prophesied this morning about the fire of God and God wanting to send fire. Where does God send fire? He sends fire on a sacrifice that is laid out before him. 
And sometimes it's going to take us to be so honest with God and to stop pretending that things are fine. And we say, God, I'm in a miserable place, actually, spiritually. And I need this to change. And not to live with things that we shouldn't live with. We say, God be merciful to me, a sinner. I'm actually a sinner. I'm not very impressed with myself. Do you ever think that? Not very impressed with myself, really. I'm bad-tempered and half-hearted and selfish. I do some good things. We try and puff ourselves up a bit. Or, you know, I'll do some good things just to try and make us feel a little bit better. And I am serving a bit, but, but there's a whole mixture I really don't like in me. God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And there's time for a prayer without pretending. We go to God. We say, God, be merciful to me. I need to get some things sorted. Actually, I need you to save me. I need you to save me. I can't save myself. I can't fix myself. I can't work up passion. I need you to save me. I need some breakthrough here. And I just felt that God wanted to say to us this morning, it's time to press through in prayer that doesn't give up for the city and the kingdom and situations to change, but it's time to press through as well for an honest prayer with God and say, God, I need this to change. I need this to change. I need me to change. I need my heart to change. There's issues I have lived with like friends instead of dealing with them like enemies. And I want out of them. God be merciful to me, a sinner. Two tough prayers. Two tough prayers. Which one goes home happy? (laughs) The man who's been honest with God.